0: are on the line. 5.02 you're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama happy Wednesday everybody Lance how's your day going my man it's been going great Noah
1: I've been putting up a lot of graphics I've been getting a lot of work done It's it's been a lot of fun
0: we have something really cool right now going on at Radio Alabama Sports' Facebook page, an updated interface for people to be able to watch the show. Go and check that out on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page if you want to keep on with what's going on with us inside the studio. Once again, on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you for the Wednesday edition of On The Line. Some Auburn basketball news that came out yesterday. JT Thor pole vaulting into the first round of the Bleacher Report, NBA mock draft, even two spots in front of Sharif Cooper at 23 to the Houston Rockets via the Portland Trailblazers, JT Thor. Of course, we were talking about this a couple of days ago. Was it the right decision to keep your name in the NBA draft? And I made the point there could be just one or two teams that have promised something to him or said that we really like you, we really want to take you and view him as a project and a very, very good investment for them long-term, and it could be that that's beginning to pick up in the media as well as reporters talk to scouts and GMs alike.
1: Yeah, Bleacher Report has a completely different opinion than I do, and it's really, really good to see a legitimate media site put together a draft and have J.T. Thor in it, because I'm gonna be honest, and y'all, y'all, if you're if you have been listening to the show, you've heard my opinion on this. I'm afraid that JT Thor will not get drafted, but Bleacher Report thinks he will. He thinks he's going to go to the Rockets via the Trailblazers uh they in in their article they say that the six foot ten forward has a smooth lefty shooting stroke while flashes of a pull-up game and fluid driving ability hint at more scoring potential to unlock long term and i completely agree with that and that was why i thought that he should have stayed in college for at least one more one more season to unlock that ability he was only shooting i believe like 27 29 from three and while his stroke and his form was clean he he didn't make the threes that that he should have and I think you, you give him one more year in this Bruce Pearl system to coach him up you'll be able to become more of a specific focal point of this offense to where whenever you get him the ball and you get him to shoot he's going to knock it down because you put him in consistent situations where where he knows what he's going to do I, I I think if he does get drafted it's it's a point in his corner and it's a point in Arbin's corner because like we also mentioned JT Thor with with an NBA coaching staff is probably a lot better than JT Thor with a college coaching staff and you give all the credit in the world to Bruce Pearl and his coaching staff for what they're able to do and how they've been able to put out two or three first or first round picks over the past 3 seasons but i trust would trust him with a team like the Houston Rockets i would trust them to put him in a system where he can shoot those threes and and develop his scoring ability but if he had come back to college I think he would have developed that but if he does get drafted in the first round I think he will develop that ability so I think it's really fantastic to see him uh, projected by Bleacher Report going at number 23.
0: The excerpt out of the Bleacher Report article about JT Thor at 23rd in their NBA mock draft the one who wrote the article Jonathan Wasserman for Bleacher Report Having once again JT Thor at twenty-three, two spots ahead of Sharif Cooper. What they've got to say about JT Thor is Thor is staying in the draft, and there has been conversation from scouts and agents about him rising into the first round. The six foot ten Ford has a smooth lefty shooting stroke, while flashes of a pull-up game and fluid driving ability hint at more scoring potential to unlock long term, which goes to what I was saying about scouts and GMs alike possibly viewing JT Thor as an investment for long term if you're comfortable with what you've already got on your roster and if you're drafting this late in the draft and and the Houston Rockets do have some rebuilding that they need to do right now but they have several picks in this upcoming NBA draft so they can focus one on maybe a long-term project that they believe could really turn out to be a superstar in the NBA this is possibly unfolding the way that maybe you and I thought it could a couple of days ago if teams picked up on him as an investment.
1: Right, and I, something else that I would like to know is is some, some Auburn fans out there might be surprised that he's mocked two spots higher than Sharif Cooper, who they have projected going to the Los Angeles Clippers, but I I wasn't necessarily surprised by this if you listened at all here on ESPN 106.7 to Zach Blackerby and I during Auburn basketball season we would we would do after the game immediately following uh, Auburn home games and we we would talk about like you know looking at Sharif Cooper's game is he an NBA prospect if is he a legitimate NBA point guard and we kind of came to the conclusion that while he was really fun to watch in college there were some things about his game that he 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 definitely needed to correct if he was going to make it at the next level and it it would not shock us if he was projected lower first round instead of a lottery pick could he go in the lottery still absolutely this is just one mock draft by by one media source I, I could see several other media sources out there putting him in the lottery, but I, it doesn't surprise me that they have him going 25th overall because it, they they mentioned in their article he has he has playmaking ability obviously and that would provide depth for the Los Angeles Clippers and until his shooting and defense improves he may be the most valuable. He may be most valuable providing a spark of speed and passing off the bench. And I, I think that's that's really going to be his role moving forward. I don't know necessarily if he can develop that three-point shot. We've watched Isaac Okoro with the Cleveland Cavaliers after one year. He hasn't been able to statistically improve his three-point shot. But it, it, he's got potential to do things outside of what he did in college. But after seeing him in like 10 or 12 games, I can understand why Bleacher Report has him mocked so low. Uh, but back to JT Thor, I, I'm also surprised that they still they haven't marked this high. It, he he's definitely a really talented prospect, and I know it shocked some folks whenever Chuma Okiki went 14th just a couple of seasons ago. But it, is is JT Thor after one freshman season really worth
0: tw- the 23rd overall pick? To someone that believes in him as a long term investment, 23 is a spot, especially if you're the Houston Rockets with multiple first round picks 23 is a spot where you can take a pick on a guy who is a long-term investment if you truly believe in his scoring ability and when you match up JT Thor's playing style with the traditional way that the Rockets have been playing these last several years the analytical minds in Houston love these tall power forwards that can stretch the floor and shoot the three ball their scheme is so predicated on shooting the basketball and stretching the floor they're probably drooling at JT Thor's offensive arsenal that is quite versatile if they can flesh it out so I think so I think it's worth it we've seen this before Tuma Okiki was drafted seven spots higher than this and he had a torn ACL and wasn't even able to play his rookie season and the Orlando Magic were comfortable with stashing him away for a year until he was ready to come back and play. And you're taking a major risk there on a dude who has a torn ACL about if he's even going to be able to replicate what he did when he when he was in college, if he's able to even get back to his former self. So Chuma O'Kiki I think, is even an example from Albert that you can point to where someone saw investment and said, man, this guy, although he may be a project, we can turn him into something.
1: Do you have a comp in mind whenever you're looking at a guy like JT Thor? Do you have somebody in mind that you would compare him to that's already in the NBA right now? I hate
0: comparing him to this player, yep. but the frame is near identical, and the way that they play their position is near identical. Now, not nearly as talented, and I, I don't even know if he, I, I don't even know if he can even get close to this. But if you look at playing style in terms of his player archetype and his frame, he looks a lot like Kevin Durant. Now, nowhere near as good as Kevin Durant was in college. And folks are scoffing at me saying that how could you compare him to Kevin Durant? Look, like he's a six foot ten, small forward slash power forward that can shoot a three. Really fluid shooting stroke. Gets the ball out of his hand quickly. He can pull up. He's comfortable with the ball in his hands. He's able to drive to the rim. I think he's got a shot on just anywhere on the floor. The mid-range game, not really a part of Auburn's offense, but he's able to stretch the floor. And I would imagine he could shoot from anywhere on the floor. I I don't know how you can't see the comparisons there. Right. Once again, not nearly as talented. And will he reach that level? Definitely not. But I see a lot of the same play style and when I talk about frame I mean they're they're both extremely they're both extremely slim power forwards that like to stretch the floor
1: well, the build and the player, uh, the, the play style is, is very similar, but I, I would say in order for Thor to actually get up there with guys like Kevin Durant, he's got to become a more confident player. You see guys like Kevin Durant, they know they can score and they're going to score. J D. Thor's got to be able to handle the ball a little bit more comfortably if he's going to be one of these guys that can stretch the floor, and he's got to be able to spot up and shoot it from just about anywhere. And that statistically was not there last season for Auburn. We saw it at times. We saw it in that Kentucky game. But in order for him to develop into a Kevin Durant kind of guy, he's got to be able to be more confident with his game. He's got to be able to expand his role just a little bit offensively. And that's what Bleacher Report is saying is, look, we think the tools are there. We saw it on film last season. We think the potential is there 100%. But they've got to be able to unlock it. Can the Houston Rockets unlock it? I believe they can. And while I think it I think it is a little bit of a stretch to have him going in the first round, like I I understand, like I understand. And the potential is absolutely there. You talked about his long term ability. I think that's there as well. You get this guy two or three years and he's going to be not necessarily a star, but a very valuable piece for a team like the Rockets. I, I'm excited for him and I just hope he gets drafted. That's what I was saying the other day is like while I'm s i am still am skeptical, I just really hope he does.
0: Going back to Sharif Cooper, do you think another year for Cooper in college would have meant lottery selection? Mm. And and this isn't the this mock draft is not the truth. This mock draft is not a foregone conclusion. Right. There's a lot of time for this to change, but 10 spots for Sharif Cooper is a long ways to climb with no basketball in front of him.
1: Right, and I think there are a few mock drafts out there that would probably put him in the lottery, and I understand why they wouldn't. And actually, if I were the one making the mock draft, I probably wouldn't put him in the lottery either. I don't know if another year in college would have necessarily done that for him because I don't know... I don't know how much his game would have changed. Would the three-point shot have developed? I'm not sure. We saw his passing ability on full display last year, one of the best assist men in the country, one of the best ball handlers in the country. Could Could he have gotten better at playing a little bit of defense and not getting to the block and not knowing what to do with the ball occasionally? Yes, I think he would have been able to figure things like that out, but I don't know if it would have moved the needle significantly to the point where he was a lottery pick.
0: I think if he added the three-point shot it would I think if he was a more consistent scorer, and there were some things put on film with Sharif Cooper towards the end of the season folks learned how to defend his scoring he had a hard time when he wandered into the paint or meandered into the paint Uh, there was purpose there obviously he was easily able to beat his defender off of the dribble but he was not a consistent score when met with big men that came over on help defense at the rim. He had a hard time scoring against bigs in the paint, and a lot of times you saw saw him swallow it up. But on the flip side, when fouls were called, he knocks down his free throws. so he isn't someone that if he could draw more fouls at the next level, which there are more fouls called at the next level, it seems. The, these smaller guards seem to be protected more, possibly, than they are in college. There is a way for him to carve it out at the free throw line and score more. But what's really a drawback that NBA teams want to see, pretty much any any NBA team right now is going to see, or every NBA team right now is going to see the lack of a three-point shot as a negative, right. especially when they're a guard.
1: When I, well, when you look at Sharif Cooper's offense last season, and I agree with you, towards the end of the season, some some teams were able to figure out what he was doing. When you look at that Baylor game, and I've said this a few times on the show and I'll say it again, I just said it a minute ago, he would get to the block, he would get to the paint, and he would get double teamed. He wouldn't know what to do with the ball and he'd either turn it over and make a bad pass or a bad decision. The offense would have to reset and it would stop either that happened or Sharif Cooper would get inside to the block and he would decide that he did want to go up for a shot and he would try and get fouled and when he didn't get those foul calls it would be a wasted possession but that's what he does so well whenever whenever his three-point shot isn't going and that's what NBA guards do so well guys like Trey Young, Seth Curry or Steph Curry, James Harden whenever they need some points they get inside that paint and they draw a foul from behind and they go to the free throw line they knock down those free throws. If he can develop a little bit of a three-point shot to go along with that he can be a a really good NBA guard guys like Trey Young don't play defense if Sharif Cooper can get by without playing defense and shooting a little bit from deep and getting to the foul line he can be a pretty good point guard like like Bleacher Report says off the bench I don't know if he'll ever become a starter because again that that three-point shot ability it just I just don't see that developing to the point where he becomes a legitimate threat offensively why because his form seems at this point, it's like if, you're, if you've are if you gone through high school and that's the way you shoot the basketball, and you're one year into college and that's the way you shoot the basketball, how much are NBA teams going to be able to change your shot? How much are shot doctors going to be able to alter that to where you're shooting a clean jumper instead of leaning back on one foot, leaning back on both feet, and, and loading up? He, instead of going straight up with the ball, he'd kind of lean back and kind of come back with it and then throw it up there. I, I just don't know how much they're going to be able to change that. And then also the the, the other factors would be, well, they can stop his, if they can stop the other things that are good in his offensive arsenal, whenever they know he wants to go to the three-point shot, they'll be able to defend that as well. And then you also think about his size, you think about his durability, and you think about how the NBA three-point line's just a little bit further back. It's like, do I see him making a lot of threes in the NBA even if they do try and coach him up? I don't know. I'm just skeptical of –
0: what would happen moving forward sure and I I knew that you had those thoughts and that's why I wanted you to flesh them out folks out there at home might not know what's wrong with the shooting for they may not see that when they're watching the basketball game, and there's so many different shooting forms out there, but definitely it was something that was talked about throughout the season on multiple broadcasts about Sharif Cooper kind of leaning back when he shoots, and that contributes to that inconsistency. I know that there are NBA teams out there that believe they can fix that. <laughs> there's a lot of hubris in front offices that sometimes waste their picks. I don't believe that they'll be wasting their pick with Sharif Cooper, though. I think drafting a guy like Sharif at 25... is pretty good. I, th- I think that's a steal.
1: Yeah, I think that's pretty good. At
0: least with the upside. There's a lot of upside with him at 25, maybe more so than you see with other players that are drafted at 25. I mean, I, I think to Malcolm Brogdon, is that Malcolm Brogdon came into the league with a three-point shot, unlike Sharif Cooper and other things have developed in Malcolm Brogdon's game. Malcolm Brogdon obviously brought in by the Bucks, And you look at Brogdon, he, he could shoot a three-pointer and he could play really good defense. And with those two areas he developed in other places like his ball handling and like his distribution skills he developed in those areas and he carved himself out a role as a starter in the NBA Sharif comes in with excellent ball handling excellent distribution he's got to develop the defense and the three-point shot if he develops those which it is possible those are two areas that I feel like are are probably easier to teach maybe would you agree with that? Is that easier to teach than maybe Getting someone to the athletic ability to be able to actually like to to be able to actually see the floor, to be able to distribute, can you teach that easier than than a three point jump shot? I think it's a lot easier to teach mechanical things
1: than it than it is to teach just special abilities and, and just mental ability like that. To be able to just know and control the game from a mental perspective and to know how to, how, to, how to carry the ball down down the court. You know who's going to be open. You know where guys are going to be, and you just know. You're just comfortable in that offense, and you just know, and you're going to be able to do it at a frenetic er, – wow, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I got so scared I didn't want to pronounce it wrong twice. At, at a really, really quick pace. I, I think if you can develop that three-point shot, he can come a, become a star. But, again, like you just said, you got to go back to what he does well, which is spread the ball around the floor – I think that's enough for him to get by in the NBA for a couple of years, but he's got to be able to develop like Malcolm Brogdon outside of that. But I agree with you. It's a lot easier to teach fundamental things than it is to teach special abilities like Sharif Cooper has.
0: Quick question before we go to break. Defensively for Sharif Cooper, is that athleticism or is that just general guards laziness? Because there's a lot of guards out there that that don't put in a ton of effort On the defensive side of the basketball, I'm
1: afraid that it might be. I'm afraid that it might be size and athleticism. I don't necessarily think it's desire or will to play defense. I think Sharif Cooper played hard last year. And he tried to be the hero whenever Auburn needed him to be, and there, there were moments where he couldn't, and there were moments where he could. He actually he played hard. You saw that, that uh, I believe it was the buzzer beater against Ole Miss, where Devontae Shuler got that pull-up jumper, and Sharif was on him. Sharif was playing good defense. It's just sometimes things just don't go your way, and you got to be able to execute. So I think size-wise, that's his only concern. I think he plays hard. He's just got to, athletically, I think he's a little bit behind some other guys in the NBA.
0: We're going to take a quick break here on On The Line, and when we come back, we got a caller on the line with us. Steve, stay on hold. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to On The Line. Back on On The Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. We want to hear from you. What's ever on your mind in the sports world? call in at 334-321-1390. Alabama football for the second day in a row announced another home-and-home schedule or another home-and-home series. They scheduled Boston College today and Oklahoma State yesterday. Boston College series for 2031 and 2034. And then the Oklahoma State series, 2028 and 2029. So... Auburn's over here Auburn's just got Penn State UCLA and Baylor and Cal and Cal I don't know how I forgot about Cal that's it Auburn's got a very very thin future schedule Alabama's booked up through like 2034
1: and uh it's you, you'll notice that the opponents after Nick Saban's contract ends just to start to slowly decline in quality I'm kidding I'm kidding
0: I'm <laughs> they kidding. they sharply increase yes they do If people aren't familiar with this schedule nobody can say anything about Alabama's scheduling from here out let's take you through it of course we know what next year's schedule is for Alabama of course they're taking on Miami but starting at 2022 the difficulty definitely increases they're at Texas in 2022 I'm just going to talk about power five opponents that they've scheduled for their future non-conference opponents 2022 they're at Texas 2023 they host Texas 2024 at Wisconsin, 2025 at Florida State and versus Wisconsin, so two power five opponents that season. 2026 at West Virginia versus Florida State. Mountain Mama. 2027 versus West Virginia at Ohio State. 2028, which was versus Ohio State at Notre Dame, that got moved back to now versus Ohio State at Oklahoma State still. (laughs) both OSU's in the same season. 2029 at Notre Dame versus Oklahoma State. 2030 at Georgia Tech versus Notre Dame. 2031 versus Georgia Tech. 2032 versus Arizona at Oklahoma. 2033 at Arizona versus Oklahoma. 2034 at Virginia Tech. And then Boston College is in there. And then 2035 is versus Virginia Tech. I forgot to mention on FBS schedules, the Boston College Series has not been added yet. I forgot to mention, 2031 is versus Georgia Tech, and then Boston College is on the road that year.
1: September 5th, 2026, the Alabama dynasty will end to the hands of the West Virginia Mountaineers. Mountain, I'm kidding. The couch no, burners. The couch burners. Uh, it's a really, really tough schedule just after about 2026. It really starts to ramp
0: up. And, uh, 20- I'd say 2025. You have Florida State and Wisconsin. Give Florida State a couple of years, maybe they'll be back to decent, right? But that that Ohio State at Oklahoma
1: State, West Virginia at home at Ohio State. You got to play Oklahoma and Notre Dame in the future. Arizona's terrible. Who cares? But still, it's a Power Five school. But this is a really, really tough non-conference schedule for Alabama moving forward. Just about every single season, like they've got somebody on their schedule this late. People in the past have been complaining, like, "Why doesn't Alabama schedule anybody?" They have now, brother. Give it a few years, and they will be playing some legitimate teams. Obviously, number number three, Florida State, and I believe it was number six, USC, at the time in 2015 weren't enough for you. We're scheduling Ohio State, baby. We've got Notre Dame, and and it wasn't
0: just Ohio State at the time. They had Ohio State and Notre Dame as of two days ago scheduled for the same season.
1: Yep, they weren't messing around, and they're like.
0: We're bringing the college football playoff into the regular season. Do you think
1: Alabama, <laughs> Alabama fans are just a little bit scared knowing no, that that happens a chance. after Notre Dame or not a chance. Nick Saban's gone? How,
0: how how dare you even ask that question? I shouldn't say how dare you, but still, man, like how do you even ask that question if you know the psyche of the Alabama football fan base?
1: What if they hire another guy named Mike? What do you think the fan base will do then after they, after they they uh, after Nick Saban retires? If they hire another guy named Mike, you think the fan base is just going to freak
0: out? I don't know if his name's going to be Mike, but there's at least a percentage chance that his name's going to be Dabo. I I could see
1: it. I could see. It. Well, the question is, is like, is Dabo even going to be coaching ten years from now, or if
0: is he, he's, he's gonna, pretty young, is he going go to go? Pretty
1: young. Is he going to go to the NFL, or is he going to still be coaching at Clemson? Do you think? Do you think he's just going to sit tight at Clemson until Dabo
0: Sweetie's personality does not match an NFL franchise. I, I don't think that that would work at the next level so
1: you think he'll sit tight at Clemson until Alabama comes calling I think he could
0: spurn Alabama and stay at Clemson the programs are comparable on the recruiting trail I mean they're both in the top three every single year Clemson's competing with Alabama for the same recruits and winning those recruits as well they're they're pretty much on the same playing field he's beaten Alabama in national championships the argument is there that he should stay at Clemson with the easy ACC instead of trying to go and step into the footsteps of Nick Saban at Alabama. But then again, I also see the other side of things where Alabama fans will try and sell me on this is that, well, Dabo Sweeney went to Alabama, played for Gene Stallings, obviously loves the university, has a lot of respect for it. Why would you not want to go and coach at your alma mater? Yeah,
1: of course. I could see that. I could also see guys like Gus Malzahn going and taking the Alabama job in ten years. I'm kidding, but imagine, 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 jokes. imagine a world where where Brian Harson is coaching at, at Auburn and Gus Malzahn is coaching at Alabama. I don't and want they to have to play each other.
0: That could only happen on NCAA football. 14 it makes that
1: UCF <laughs> matchup look real good compared to that Alabama matchup, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, on my video game though, and I, I texted you this over the weekend. I even tweeted about it. <laughs> On NCAA Football 14, the video game, I'm sure many have heard about this. The year is 2017 in my dynasty, and Arkansas is the new head coach. It's Tommy Tuberville. And then after that, his OC was David Cutcliffe, and his defensive coordinator was Kurt Ferentz after both of those coaches bombed out at Duke and Iowa, respectively. Tommy had climbed from Cincinnati to Arkansas, beat Ohio State, in week one and then lost to San Jose State the next week.
1: <laughs> Only in NCAA 14. And then San I Jose State. I mean, that could State, have happened in real life. <laughs> San Jose State proceeded to lose to an FCS school the following week. That's right. That did happen. It do that be like happen. that sometimes.
0: It do be like that sometimes. But when you say, you know, imagine a world where Gus Malzahn coaches at Alabama. That's not happening.
1: It would, it would would It would terrify people for a moment. And then they would realize it's like, oh, well, he's going to start. He's going to start a quarterback that doesn't, that is not ta- as talented as others on the roster, and we'll be all, we'll be all right. We'll be good.
0: Do you think it's going to be Dabo?
1: I think there's not another candidate out there that could legitimately take the job and fans in the program, in the world, be okay with it. It, it. He's the only guy that I can see that would, that would bring continuity and would continue the success that Alabama had had under Saban.
0: What if Urban Meyer bombs out oh, no. in the NFL at the exact same time that Nick Saban is going into retirement? And I'm not saying, and you and I have talked about this, we don't know if Nick Saban's going to actually go through 2028. We just know that that's the end. We, we know that he won't go past that because of his quote in the press release saying that this will take him through the end of his career in Tuscaloosa. So 2028's it. But it's very possible, based off of the structure of the contract, which includes incentives – for certain years that he completes on his contract so after say he completes and I don't know if this is an exact year but say he completes the 2023 football season he receives $800,000 just for having coached the 2023 football season at least that's the way I understand it and there are multiple milestones in this contract now where if he if he passes that date then he gets money because he coached to that point so there's obviously they're trying to create incentive for him to not retire before 2028 so there must be a possibility that he retires before 2028 right so what if urban meyer bombs out of the league in three or four years and nick saban retires in three or four years and it just times up to where urban meyer's at alabama
1: well alabama's got to win at least one or two natties before before that point for nick saban to say i'm out i think they've got to win two i think they win they they win two more and nick saban says all right dude i've done enough i'm i've proven myself i'm the greatest college coach of all time piece and then urban meyer would have to step in That's the question is can jacksonville sustain at least a little bit of success under meyer for the next three or four years and, and have him hold out up until that point
0: urban meyer will get at least two football seasons at least and i think he'll do well enough to earn himself another two or another two after that at least the nfl is not a patient league whatsoever and if you have an egregiously bad season you're done for and Jacksonville is very much so in a rebuilding stage. They have the number one overall draft picked. They just have so much that they have to do to get back to winning. And sometimes NFL franchises are not the most patient in the world waiting on a coach to be able to build it to that point. They expect it. They expect to win now. I don't think that that's the situation in Jacksonville at the moment. They're not expecting to win this season. And they're probably not even expecting to win next season. But they're at least expecting a progression from last year's horrid season where they only won one game or two games, whatever it was, to at least probably winning five this year and then maybe even doing a little bit better than that two years from now. They're expecting a progression to at least getting back to 500, I'm sure, after two seasons of Urban Meyer because I can guarantee you if Jacksonville does not get back to 500 in two seasons under Urban Meyer, we're going to be seeing NFL Live on ESPN with a headline at the bottom is the urban meyer experiment working out in the nfl Uh, so even 500 wasn't enough for nick saban in miami and he went back to college and guess where he ended up alabama this could be this could be the same kind of situation we could be hearing urban meyer saying, i'm not going to alabama and then bang ends up at alabama
1: so the two candidates that we've thrown out there that would be like legitimate candidates i'm not talking about malzahn or anybody like that urban meyer and Dabo swinney guys that have been in the game for a long time and have proven their ability to 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 coach at the highest level in the game could Alabama potentially go with a younger coach like Matt Campbell or somebody that's on the come definitely up? not Matt Campbell not Campbell well is there anybody else that's younger that you would that you would look at and say that could be a candidate in the future the
0: scope it depends on what Steve Sarkeesian does at Texas Steve Sarkeesian does really really well at Texas I think Sark Could be a real contender for the job when it comes around to that point, but it just all depends. the The landscape of of college football changes vastly on a five to ten year pendulum, and you look back five years ago, who were hot shot names in college football as coaches. Those have changed to now. Five years ago, Tom Herman was a hot name in college football, and guess what? Now he's now he's disgraced. You know. So there's a lot that could change by the time that Nick Saban gets ready to retire, if it even happens midway through these next eight years on his new contract extension. Something to note, though, ages do factor into this. Dabo Sweeney at 51, Urban Meyer at 56. And the game definitely, based on Urban Meyer's track record, appears to age him a lot more than maybe some other coaches out there at 56. And when when he's getting around to 60 years old, does he want to take another one? Does he want to take on another job in college? Probably not.
1: Lane Kiffin.
0: (laughs) <laughs> I, I, no I, I, I don't think I'm, I'm things joking. work that's, out magically enough for him at Ole Miss to get there
1: do you think do you think that he consistently has Ole Miss as an um, enough of an offensive threat for Alabama to even maybe even consider him it's like well he, he scores points and like his, his his schemes are sound
0: I think you're setting the bar too low it's not about Ole Miss being great on offense that's already a given Ole Miss is going to be a good offensive football team this year probably great It's the fact, can he get Ole Miss to a point where they can actually really compete in the SEC West? And if he were to get them to like an SEC championship or something like that, my opinion of Lane Kiffin changes dramatically. But we've never really seen him, at least at a Power 5 school, I think he finished things up at Florida Atlantic because he took a job. He he, he won two Conference USA titles at Florida Atlantic, got him to two at least. I think he won both of them. I know he won at least one. He then takes the next step. There's not, there was nothing else that he could do at Florida Atlantic. I don't blame him for, for leaving Florida Atlantic. But he didn't finish things in Knoxville. He didn't finish things out in L.A. at USC. He, he has jumped. He, he's been a journeyman. He's jumped from location to location. It doesn't really feel like he's finished anything that he's been at. And now he's at Ole Miss. He's back at a Power 5 university for a head coaching job for the first time since USC. I want to see if he can finish things there, if he can actually get Ole Miss to a finished product, which for me, I think that has to mean, if you look back at Hugh Freeze, I think that has to mean at least getting them to an SEC championship, right? Right. Like, does Alabama want to go and hire a coach who was perennially 8-5, and 9-4 and four every year? Because that's been the ceiling for a lot of Ole Miss coaches with the exception of Hugh Freeze, who actually could get them to 10-11 and 11 wins. Yep. He just couldn't get them to an SEC championship. Outside of Dabo. And he beat Alabama enough to where you would fathom and believe that one would do that. Outside of
1: Dabo, I have a really hard time looking at the coaches that are in the game right now and picking one of them to say, yeah, this guy can continue success at Alabama.
0: I think that the two hottest names for me one day, for just looking down this, going down this rabbit trail, I think the two names that are most likely would be Dabo and Sarkeesian. I think Sarkeesian can do enough at Texas and with his with his time at Alabama and how beloved he was to the Alabama fan base, if he can win at a high level at Texas and be able to manage the personalities behind the scenes at Texas, this is grooming him for that at Alabama. It's more than just the on-field stuff because he should be able to win easily at Texas. When we've talked about the last four recruiting classes for the Longhorns, they have two top three recruiting classes. They're always in the top 10. They have the resources. There's no reason why anyone there's no reason why anyone should lose at Texas. Yet history should, tells us. Exactly. There's something going on. There's something in the water in Austin. There's something behind the scenes that plagues the coaches that go in because Tom Herman looked like he should have won. He looked like he was – that That looked like that was a match made in heaven, and he was coming from Ohio State. At least he had the Ohio State background. He was coming from Houston, but he had won at other locations, and he, he looked like, wow, this is going to work out, and then it didn't. Steve Sarkeesian has experience at Alabama – a school on the same echelon as ohio state maybe i should say that the other way around ohio state's on the same echelon as alabama but still Sarkeesian very much so has experience in this type of echelon of college football and the resources are there at texas and the pressure from behind the scenes is there at texas to where if he makes this thing work i believe he would be a really good candidate alabama because if, if you can withstand the pressure that you, that you hear about and see about on social media, that you hear rumored about at Texas from boosters and whatnot behind the scenes, if you can withstand that, you can, you can handle your business in Tuscaloosa where Nick Saban's pretty much had total, total sovereignty. So, interesting discourse, but there's still eight years on the Nick Saban contract that was extended earlier this week got a long way to go if you've got a thought on on, on any of the coaches that we suggested or maybe someone else out there that may be a candidate down the line love to hear from you anything else on your mind in the sports world we want to hear from you about it 334-321-1390 going to take a quick break here and then when we come back we'll wrap up our number one of on the line Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Hour number two of the show. I want to remind everybody to go vote in our SEC uniform bracket at ESPN 106.7. said this during the break. I think this would be funny going outside of the SEC to Oregon. Of course, we've seen Oregon and all the different things that they do with, with their jerseys. They wear a different jersey for every single ball game. Why has this not been done yet? Let's make them look like a ripe banana. (laughs) top of the helmet the most neon green that they can produce in their uniform kit and all the way to the bottom of their shoes we do a gradient to the bottom where they're at neon yellow would people want to see that i wonder if it would look cool part of me thinks that it would look cool because they've they've played around with gradients a little bit but we've stuck around on uniforms for too long i'm just throwing a thought out there that i've had in the last 24 hours but let's move on ranking the top five sec running backs for this upcoming football season we've ranked the quarterbacks already you and i had some good discussion there there's even more dissension here with the running backs let's start out at five on this list who do you have at five at number five i
1: have dang where is he on my list i always do these out of order i have brian robinson jr at number five and you may look at what he did last season and you say well he only ran for about 500 yards Actually, yeah, he ran for 483 yards last season. Had he had a full season, he would have run for 557. But again, it's very similar to why I had Bryce Young so high on my list for SEC quarterbacks. It's scheme. It's the situation they're stepping into. And it's just Just expecting him to be good. It's just expecting for him to for for Alabama to continue to turn out good talent. Now, statistically, at the end of the season, is he going to be one of the better running backs? I don't know. On paper, he looks like one of the better running backs because, again, it's a five-star coming into a five-star program. But Alabama's offense may not necessarily lean more towards running the ball this year, and guys like Brian Robinson Jr. may get kind of left out statistically. But on paper right now, i got to think that he's one of the five best running backs in the SEC, especially early on in the year because it's in order to get Bryce Young comfortable – I think they're going to be able to run the ball a little bit more, kind of get this offense going, and they may rely on him a little bit earlier on in the season.
0: I haven't even really – I didn't consider him for my top five. He was – there were other running backs that I left out, like Jerry and Ely. Jerry and Ely doesn't make my list, where I think they've already shown enough throughout their career, where I'm like, these guys are better than Brian Robinson at the moment. You insert Brian Robinson to another SEC team, you take him out of his situation – and you place him at another one of these universities. Of course, yes, he he benefits from the scheme. He benefits from the offensive players around him. Najee Harris was special special. I don't know if we see I don't know if we've seen that right now with Brian Robinson at the moment for where I'm like, yeah, this guy's a top five running back because I really like the, the running backs in this in my top five where I believe at this point they have overcome adversity by way of the offensive line that's been in front of them and they have still found a way to statistically be at the top of the league in their rushing categories five for me zamir white 11 touchdowns last year as a running back that was one of the highest tallies in the conference he's coming back after tearing acls in both knees that's a huge comeback story for zamir white averaging a pedestrian 5.4 yards per carry compared to the other running backs in the top five of this list because there's some gaudy numbers there guys that are hovering a little above six yards per carry and then right around the six yards per carry mark. That bothers me a little bit considering Zamir White has been playing behind one of the best offensive lines in the SEC over the last couple of years, especially when it comes to the running game. Zamir White just has not taken off at the same level as the other Georgia running backs that have come through the door before him. You look back all the way to Nick Chubb and then Sony Michelle and, and the list goes on and on up to this point. He just hasn't quite taken off compared to the other running backs before him
1: yeah i i, I have zamir just a little bit higher on my list and i'll explain why in a minute but my number four guy and you and i disagree on this a, a, a little bit I, i've got Karen, kevin harris at my number four spot and there are a couple of reasons whenever you look at this guy's numbers you, you they jump off the page had he had a full season would have run for 1300 yards he ran for 1100 last season
0: and the highest yards per carry
1: mark in the league he had the highest yards per carry mark in the league at, at 6.2 Carolina. 15 touchdowns dude was balling he was uh, he was probably the only bright spot in a two and eight season
0: the South Carolina quarterback room had eight passing touchdowns he had 15 rushing touchdowns he almost doubled the passing touchdowns for the entire football team
1: I talk about situation and I talk about scheme and I think there are important factors to look at whenever you look at an individual player skill position moving from one season to the next and Something that you pointed out to me just a couple of days ago is, is a really big positive for Auburn is what Mike Bobo was able to get this guy 1,100 yards in a 2-8 and eight season with a terrible South Carolina team that had a really bad offensive line. Imagine what he's going to be able to do for Tank Bigsby, but that guy's not at South Carolina anymore. They're breaking in a new coaching staff. They're bringing back a couple of starters on the offensive line. And again, that offensive line is not great. They're going to be able to run the football because they're breaking in a new quarterback, but I don't see him better than the three other guys that I have on my list come season's end. Really, really talented guy, statistically really impressive last year. Will he be able to keep those numbers up in 2021? I don't think they're going to be as impressive as they were in 2020.
0: Man. I, I, we will disagree later. I'll tell you why when I get him when I get to him later on on my list. I'll I'll tell you why I think he will be successful. So I'll table that for a bit. Four on my list. I'm going to Isaiah Spiller out of Texas A&M. Now Spiller statistically last year had a solid season for A&M. I actually think he's one of two players in the entire conference that broke 1,000 yards last year. He is. He's one of two players at running back that broke 1,000 rushing yards. He came away with 1,036 yards, 5.5 yards per carry, nine touchdowns. Also somewhat of a receiving threat, 20 catches. And once again, you go back to 10 games for them, so he's averaging two catches a ball game. Had 193 yards receiving, 9.7 yards per catch. That was good for fourth on the Texas A&M receiving list last year. A versatile running back, explosive speed, but he was still playing behind one of the best offensive lines that the SEC had to offer last year, and he still was below some other guys like Kevin Harris, like Chris Rodriguez at Kentucky, like Tank Bigsby at Auburn. All three of those universities had significantly worse offensive lines than Texas and m and Isaiah Spiller, and still the only, the 5.5. And then you also you talk about those other three universities. All three of those universities had significantly worse quarterback production than a with Kellen Mond. There was more versatility in the AM offense, which should have produced more for Isaiah Spiller. That's why I've got him further down on my list. He's produced, but he has not produced with the adversity that some of the other running backs have shown. And he's, he's going to encounter adversity this year with a brand-new offensive line. And I'm curious if he does it at the same clip now that the offense is about Isaiah Spiller. It, it, this is not about Kellen Mond anymore. He's gone. This is not going to be an offense about Haynes King. This is going to be an offense about trying to make Haynes King comfortable because he's a freshman that has not played at all. He's got four total pass attempts in his career. Now you look at Isaiah Spiller, it's about him. Is he ready for that? I'm not so sure.
1: I have Isaiah Spiller at my number three spot and I agree with you I think the situation he's stepping into is going to be a bit of a challenge for him he's going to have to be able to step into this role without that really talented offensive line that he had last season and he's going to have to be the focal point of the offense and we've talked about this during Texas A&M's make or break factors it's like well they got to be able to get this quarterback comfortable how are they going to be able to do that well if you've got a thousand yard running back returning in the SEC it's probably going to help Haynes King just a little bit they'll be able to run the football they'll be able to run it with Spiller how much more impressive Will he be this season compared to last year? I don't know. I think he's going to be about the same because they are going to rely on him, I feel like, heavier than they did last year. So statistically, I think he's going to be about the same. I think he'll break 1,000 yards again, but that's the reason why I have him at number three is because I expect him to perform at the same level that he did last year because he had a talented offensive line that allowed him to do it this year, and I think workload will increase, him st- increase his statistics to where they were last season. I think it's going to even out. So... That's the reason why I have I have, him, have him at number three. I don't think he's the greatest running back in the world. I think he's deserving of that three spot in the SEC if he can prove it by season's end, and I think he will.
0: Moving on to third on my list, I've got Chris Rodriguez Jr. out of Kentucky. Once again, we talk about running backs that have overcome adversity, that don't have good or great offensive lines in front of them. Kentucky's offensive line has been fine it's been a, a middle of the pack unit in the country, but here's the thing. Everybody knows that Kentucky's running the football. You look at their their rushing statistics last year; finished third in the SEC, 34th nationally. Passing statistics: 14th in the conference, 122nd out of 130 teams in college football. They had 121 and a half passing yards per game last year. We all knew that the Kentucky offense could not throw the football last year. It didn't matter who was quarterback, whether it was Joey Gatewood, whether it was Terry Wilson, they couldn't throw the football last year. Only 200 pass attempts for Terry Wilson. Both quarterbacks hovered around 50% or a little bit above it in completion percentage. When your offense has that much dysfunction in your passing game, it's easy for opposing schools to stack the box against you and try and stop the run. That was the book on beating Kentucky. And Chris Rodriguez Jr. still, still averaged 6.6 yards per carry, which I believe amongst like running backs that were like starters, they were the number one back on their team. That was the highest mark in the conference for starting running backs returning for this year. 6.6 yards per carry, 11 touchdowns. Everybody knew that the ball was going into Chris Rodriguez's hands or that somebody was running the football and Chris Rodriguez made it work. Now, if you want a counterpoint to that for Chris Rodriguez, he had a running quarterback alongside him Terry Wilson. And that takes some of the pressure off of you because you don't know who's carrying the football. That does help you out a lot. Terry Wilson no longer in the offense. How does that How does that change things for Chris Rodriguez now that the quarterback, which I I don't think it's going to be Joey Gatewood, it's looking like it couldn't end up being Will Levis or Bo Allen. Gatewood could be falling on the chart, but regardless, Joey Gatewood is not the speed threat that Terry Wilson is. I don't believe that he's as much of a rushing threat as Terry Wilson was. You look at the quarterback room at Kentucky; it does not offer them as much on the ground as it did last year. That could affect Rodriguez a little bit, but still, last year's numbers absurd. And if he puts them up again, this dude could be getting drafted, especially looking at the fact that he is a junior going into this year. So, some some high praise there for Chris Rodriguez Jr. We'll be back continuing to rank these top five running backs in the SEC on the other side of this break. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Powering our way through the Wednesday edition of On the Line. we got 30 minutes left in the show until the drive with Bill Cameron coming up from four to six on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. We're ranking our top five SEC running backs for the 2021 season. If you've got some disagreement, if you got some comments, anything to add, number to call, 334-321-1390. We're taking your calls here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Top five running backs. We're into our top two now. Lance, take it away.
1: At number two, you know, I debated whether or not I, I should have Zamir White in this list at all, and I decided to shift him down, and that bumped up Jerry and Ely to number two. Zamir White is not in my list at all. I would have had him at, at number four. At number five, I believe I was debating on whether or not I should put Brian Robinson or Samir White in that posi- in that spot, but Jerry and Ely at number two for me, and there are a couple of reasons why. Number one, like you mentioned, having a running quarterback by your side will definitely help out your rushing offense. It gives it gives that rushing offense versatility, and it's going to give the back a lot of opportunities to to hit those holes harder whenever they expect the quarterback to pull it and run. Another thing that I'd like to note is that Pro Football Focus has Jerry and Ely ranked as the fifth best returning running back in 2021, and I think his numbers reflect reflect promise. He produced two of the 15 highest single-game broken tackle rates from the 2020 season, and he ranked eighth in the Power Five in percentage of runs that picked up at least three yards after contact. Whenever you look at this Ole Miss offense, you think, well, all they like to do is throw the ball around the yard, and you're right, seventh nationally in, uh, in passing yards per game. But they also averaged 210 yards rushing per game, that was 26th nationally. and A lot of that did have to do with the fact that Corral was a true dual threat, but they also had Jerry Neely, who had 745 yards and nine touchdowns, and I think that number is going to jump this season to I think he will crack a thousand and I put a lot of stock in pro football focus I put a lot of stock in this Lane Kiffin offense and I think it's going to excel and at the end of the year I, I would look up and see Jerry
0: Neely as a f- second team all SEC he's good he is he is very good I'm trying to figure out if he's good because of the scheme and pro football focus statistic there on his broken tackles I like that 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 would go against someone saying that he's good only because of the scheme, because he's creating his own space. But I want to know, is that consistent across the span of the entire season? Because you mentioned that there were he, he produced two of the highest single-game broken tackle records. And I'm not saying it's not true. He may have done it across the season. I would just like to know more stats on if he was doing that consistently across the season. Because I, I do think that Ely has helped out a lot by his scheme. I question whether or not he would still produce – at the level in which he does if he was moved somewhere else in the league. Like if he was running behind a different offensive line, if he was at South Carolina and Kevin Harris was at Ole Miss, how would that differ? I think Kevin Harris would still obviously do the amazing things that he's doing because of what he did at South Carolina, but would Jerry and Ealy do what he's doing right now at Ole Miss at South Carolina, I'm not sure. Tank Bigsby a guy that I think could run and be successful anywhere in the league. I don't know if that's the same for Jerry and Ealy. I don't know if I've seen that yet. He's been good. He's been really good. He's all-purpose back, and I love his versatility. I really do. That's the same reasons why I like Isaiah Spiller. But I think that there have been other running backs that do that in this league that have have produced more up to this point. At least, at least statistics-wise, that that supported because Spiller had 300 more rushing yards last year, had more yards per carry, had more receiving yards, had more receptions. I don't disagree with you. Ely's fun to watch, and he is good. I just didn't even put him in my top five because I wondered about I, I a lot of that I, I attribute to the scheme. Right. And I, that's I,
1: I, I've said, i said I put a lot of stock in, in, in schemes and situation whenever I'm looking at these rankings, because at the end of the day, you know, if the if the scheme is making you it making you perform it's like, That's okay. Like if you if you're performing over guys that don't perform in other schemes, like you're still performing. At the end of the day, you still have better statistics, and you still like you can be up there with those guys because that's the scheme you're in, and that's the situation you've landed in. So sure, my
0: argument though is that on the other side, there are players in the league that are producing more than Jared Ealy that are in much much worse situations.
1: But but still, if the if the if the if the situation makes you better. And those, or if the situation makes you worse like statistically look at Kevin Harris like obviously 15 touchdowns over a thousand yards but I like the versatility that Jared sure. Ealy brings to the game along with his rushing ability and the scheme definitely helps him with that and I'm not saying that scheme is everything I'm just saying like you look at it at the end of the day like if they if they have better numbers that's that's that then I'm going to go with that guy. But whenever you look at guys like Kevin Harris compared to Jerry and Ealy, like he's more fun to watch. He's going to be able to catch it out of the backfield. He's going to be able to return kicks. If you put Kevin Harris in this Ole Miss offense, I don't think he performs as well as Ely does because he would stall out. If you put Jerry and Ely in his situation at South Carolina, if you give him that many carries, I don't think he's going to perform as well as Kevin Harris, but I think he's going to perform close. I think it's really, really hard, and I think you, you're – very logical points like reasonable like there's there's no there's no like legitimately arguing with that it's really hard to to rank some of these guys for me because they all just kind of they're they're all talented whenever you get closer to the top
0: it's a good running back class this year it's I'm
1: excited g- about it it's a good running back class and I think I think guys like Jerry and Neely bring a lot of a lot to the table and I do put a lot of stock whenever pro football focus said these are the things that we saw on tape last year and this is why this guy is going to be really good next season I'm gonna go with that dude
0: sure Kevin Harris, though, to his defense, still ended up with more receptions, not as many receiving yards or not not as much yards per reception, but still with more receiving yards than Jerry Neely last year and more catches, not as much yards per reception, so they just didn't throw the ball to Jerry Neely as much. But uh, I, I think Kevin Harris showcases that versatility, too, and I'll, I'll get to that in a bit. My number two, which is going to be to the chagrin of many Auburn fans, and I know that must mean that you have Tank Bigsby at number one. Tank Bigsby is at number two for me. And Tank and Kevin Harris, that, those were one and two for me all the way. Deciding who was going to be number one and number two for me, the only thing that's separating for me is that we didn't get a full year of Tank Bigsby and he got hurt, and I've been scarred by Auburn running backs getting hurt. And I'm wondering – if he can make it a full season and granted I'm not calling him injury I don't want to say that he's injury prone because he has only played for one year and his injury was a freak accident when people have brought that up to me I'm like it's not like he's injury prone a 300 pound human being threw him onto his hip that that is going to hurt somebody right I want to know does Tank Bigsby have the durability to go through a 12 game football season when he really only played seven or eight games last year substantially
1: right Right. I can. I, I understand that. I do have Tank Bixby at my number one. And As you
0: should. He, I think when he's healthy, he's the best.
1: And the reason for that is is two things. Number one, pro football focus. Again, putting a yeah. lot of stock in the numbers that they bring out. Number two, I know we've harped on how badly this offensive line has been over the past couple of seasons, but they can run block. And th- these are like four or five seniors returning on this offensive line. And I, I, I'm putting stock in this coaching staff. I'm putting stock in the scheme and the situation to make Tank Bigsby's numbers go up. And I agree with you. I'm not saying he's injury prone, but he did have some issues last year as far as injuries were concerned. I think he is going to, if he does, Get to play a full season, he is going to come out on top as the best running back in the SEC. And then you can point to guys like, well, Chris Rodriguez or Kevin kevin Harris, or even guys like Jerry and Ely, Zamir White, guys that we've been talking about. It's like, well, statistically, last year they were better. And it's like, yeah, well, I'm looking at what the situation th- that they're stepping into this season. I'm not saying guys like Kevin Harris and Chris Rodriguez and Jerry and Ely are bad, or Zamir White, who is not even in either or in my top five. I'm just saying, I'm looking at the situation that they're stepping into, and I'm saying, what is the offense going to do? Is the offense going to be better than it was last season? And is it going to benefit? Is the scheme going to benefit the player that's in it? And you, whenever you look at a guy like Tank Bixby, I think it's going to do that. and Ely, I think it's going to do that. Zamir White, I think he's going to be good simply because it's Georgia and they just have a bunch of really good recruits around him, but I think they're going to shift more to a pass-oriented offense. I've talked about their ability to stretch the field all offseason. I think they're going to do that this year. Kevin Harris is probably going to be the only – he's going to be the guy. It's like the, the ball is going to was Kevin Harris last year. every single play, but they don't have that coaching staff. They don't bring back a, t- a ton of production. And it's, I think that's going to cause problems statistically. Whenever you, when, at the end of the season, you're gonna, there's, there's going to be a shift a little bit in some numbers.
0: I don't have a leg to stand on right now if someone comes at me with, well, Tate Bigsby, if he had played and had gotten as many carries as Kevin Harris, well, then they would have had pretty similar seasons. Tate Bigsby didn't have the same amount of playing time, but on the flip side, as I pointed out. I want to know, does he have the durability? He's, he's a little right. bit on the small side coming into college. And granted, most freshmen don't get put into the situation that he was put into to where you have to be the number one back. But his talent and, his, and the special nature of his skill set warranted that. Right. If Tank Bixby puts together a full season at Auburn, avoids injury, puts together a full season, he may be the best running back in the country. And pro football focus, I was whipping out those stats last year every week. Uh, surrounded by too many Alabama fans sometimes and they're gonna be like this guy's not that good you guys are just buying into the hype blah 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 it's like the guy's creating his own space man as as much as this offensive line I actually do believe is a better run blocking offensive line than the one in 2019 and I think the numbers do support that Tate Bigsby created a lot of his space just go back and watch Auburn football games from last year Tate Bigsby is the kind of running back that will turn a two-yard carry into a seven or an eight-yard carry because of his inability to go down he just he is so he is just not willing to go down and he's shifty he's got great balance this is honestly the best balance that we've seen from a running back since carryon johnson he's got vision that you can't teach a freshman and if they can get him to be a little bit more patient tank Bixby is going to be a special running back I can't wait to see them incorporate him more into the passing game. I think we saw a little bit, little bits of that in the spring game with all of the running backs. They get him involved a little bit more into the passing game. I think you see Cadillac Williams level of specialness. And I was talking with Jacob earlier today off the air. You could put at the end of his career if he could stay healthy, Tate Bixby has the ability to end up on the Mount Rushmore of Auburn running backs. I would say in
1: response to if somebody came at you and said, well if you put if you give Tank Bigsby a full season he would put up the same numbers as Kevin Harris and like if you put him in the same scheme like gave him as the ball as many times he would perform i would say like well that that would that i agree with you but that didn't happen now let's look forward to 2021 and let's say okay look at these guys in their individual settings and and let's determine who is going to come out on top because we can we can agree last season Kevin Harris statistically was the better running back than Tank Bigsby but again I think situation has a lot to do with what these running backs are going to do moving forward so I would say for guys like Tank Bigsby in, in order to say that he w- is one of if not the best running back in the SEC it's like moving forward this year I'm going to expect that he is not as injury prone as last season still could happen but I'm going to expect that he does get a full season this year and he is going to perform because of these things offensive line scheme change Mike Bobo who 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 created who, who Kevin, helped Harris. Kevin
0: Harris to be what he was sure. right um, again I'm not it, no, I'm not knocking on is Kevin it Harris. certain that the system's going to get worse next year for Kevin Harris because I do have Kevin Harris at number one on my list and a big part of that is statistically looking at Kevin Harris last year he was in a worse situation than Tate Bigsby and he still and there's no if and buts you can't deny this you cannot deny this the stats do not lie for running backs. you cannot deny Kevin Harris last year outperformed Tank Bigsby. Even in a 12-game season, yards per carry, Kevin Harris 6.2, Tank Bigsby 6. 15 touchdowns for Tank – for Kevin Harris, excuse me, Tank Bigsby just the 5. So – and Kevin Harris also catching the ball out of the backfield. He had 21 catches, 159 yards, 7.6 yards per reception, one touchdown. Tank Bigsby last year, 11 catches for 84 yards, 7.6 yards per reception. I – they're on the same track there with, with the yards per reception to where if Tank had the same amount of catches, they have the same amount of receiving yards. And then Kevin Harris had the touchdown as well. So you, you, no matter what, nobody can deny the fact that Kevin Harris, statistically, those are the facts, outperformed Tank Bigsby last year in a much worse situation because all eyes were on Kevin Harris. You knew Kevin Harris was getting the football. You put Kevin Harris on Alabama you put Kevin Harris at Florida you put Kevin Harris at another university Georgia you put you put him somewhere where they have a much better situation where the offense is not just about Kevin Harris he he would be even better.
1: And that's my concern, and that's why I have guys like Ely and Tank above this guy. Is that I do think I don't think he's going to take a, a huge step. Back. You just don't
0: know if he can replicate it in year two.
1: I just think these other guys that are around that are that are in the SEC around him are going to perform to his level. And also, he lost the offensive coordinator that made him go. He's lo- they they lose. All- I, I know he's going to become a focal point. Obviously, he's going to become the focal point. He's going to get the ball, if not every single play. And he's going to rack up yardage. But I think these other guys like Ely and Tank are going to be put in situations where they can statistically improve and get to the level that Harris is on. And I think the South Carolina offense is going to have issues this season. Breaking in a new head coach and a new offensive coordinator is tough.
0: The other area where I think you should go with this, if, you're, if you want to rebuttal this, Kevin Harris, you're more experienced. Than tank bigsby you're talking about a sophomore versus a freshman last year a guy who's been in college football has had the year to develop himself physically we're comparing a freshman whose numbers wise in terms of yards per carry is six for tank bigsby and 6.2 for kevin harris well what does tank bigsby do as a sophomore maybe we should be comparing tank Bigsby's sophomore season to kevin harris's sophomore season maybe that's a little bit more of a level playing field unfortunately that those two are playing at different times of their careers and you have to compare them at, at what years that they're playing in for 2021 i've got kevin harris at the top based off of his track record from last year and i don't expect him to take a step back i would be i would be surprised if he took a major dip in production this next year and he's doing it under major adversity but i'm with you man it's not a big gap i'm not saying that it's a big gap between kevin harris and tank bigsby there is not those are two of the best running backs in all of the land jerry neely as well i like what he does i like what a lot of these other players do in the sec it's a fun it's a fun backfield in the sec as a whole going into 2020 we wrap up the show the other side of this break you're listening to the wednesday edition of on the line we'll be back in just a moment On the line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 106.7. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Wednesday edition of On the Line. we got four minutes left in it. Before we wrap up the show today, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight hey everybody it's noah gardner with what's on tonight a lot of great sports and some postseason action along with some solid movie selections on your wednesday night mel gibson and danny glover starring lethal weapon at seven on amc classic basketball movie with hoosiers on fs1 at seven and live sports newly named league mvp Nikola Jokic and the denver nuggets go at it with the phoenix suns for game two of their series in the western conference semifinals phoenix leads 1-0 catch game two on tnt at 8 30 in college softball it's game two of the Women's College World Series championship between Oklahoma and Florida State at 6 on ESPN. In the MLB, the Kansas City Royals take on the Los Angeles Angels at 8.30 on ESPN. NHL playoffs are on NBCSN at 6.30 with game six between the Boston Bruins and the New York Islanders. Islanders clinch the series with a win up 3-2. The United States men's national soccer team, fresh off of winning the CONCACAF Nations League, is taking on Costa Rica in an international friendly at 6 on ESPN2. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Wrapping up the Wednesday edition of On the Line, Noel Garner and Lance Dahl with you. I want to spend a second here to talk about the Athletic put up an article earlier today, Nicole Arbach and Max Olsen, writing about the transfer portal and how it's changed the game. Coaches still only have, you know, the 25 scholarship limit, but now players can leave universities and transfer anytime that they want with no penalty, at least for the first time. And they put up a table of all of the teams in college football that had transfer portal losses and Auburn comes in at fourth on the list, the fourth most losses to the transfer portal with 20 players, excuse me, 19 players coming out of the Auburn program. Only Mississippi State, Missouri, who are tied for third. Tied for second is Kansas, Michigan State, and then the team that lost the most by far, Tennessee, at the top of this list, the only team that lost 25 players, or the only team that lost more than 22 players to the transfer portal. That is a ton that's a lot and man. that is since October 1st 2020 Dang, so that's oh. about midway through last year man. <laughs> or since last football season started so Auburn's lost 19 guys since October 1st 2020 I think a very good point is brought up and I, and I brought this up yesterday with if you expand the college football playoff and you don't reduce the regular season you might have to play around with the scholarship limits a little bit and this is more of an argument for that that coaches very well could lose a ton of their roster and not be able to a recruit transfers in and b you're still hampered by the 25 scholarship limit for freshmen also with the moving around of players through the transfer portal we've seen it much harder and i've talked to coaches high school coaches around the state about this i've said it, it's a lot harder to get these guys recruited especially in basketball
1: right whenever you look at Auburn's situation the the first thing that I would say is compared to Tennessee's situation are these guys that Auburn are losing are they going to be focal points moving forward on this football team and whenever you look at some of the names that have that have entered I would say the majority of them aren't whenever you look at a situation like Tennessee they lost their top two running backs they've lost good pieces on that offensive line they've lost legitimate starting players in the SEC whenever you look at Auburn's auburn's losses they maybe lost. not
0: this year but they would have become that possibly like jaron Handy might have
1: they would have been but at the same time it's like it's it, i don't think it's necessarily the end of the world because obviously you're going to have turnover with with a coaching staff change and moving forward the transfer portals for everyone auburn's going to be able to get some guys back and then they're also going to be able to recruit so if these guys weren't system fits for this program and they wanted to leave. I think that's a good sign. Auburn, go out and get the guys that you want. If the, there were guys on the roster that you didn't want, or you had somebody else in mind, and you said, "Hey, look, you're not going to get to play a lot this season," I think that's a good thing. Auburn's got to go and get their guys. The Tennessee situation, I feel like, is a little bit different because they're they it's just a it's just blown up. They're just hanging out, handing out McDonald's bags, and just having a good time
0: up there. Well, something to note: four of those seven teams went through coaching changes. Mississippi State did not, but they are one year removed same as missouri and then michigan state also in that boat so all seven of those teams within a year have had a coaching change so that also plays into the fact all those guys transferring out culture changes tend to do that that's it for the wednesday edition of on the line the drive with bill cameron coming up after us we'll see you tomorrow same time same place you know where to find us